You're listening to Brave Not Perfect with Reshma Sajani, presented by Anchor and Girls Who Code. Hey, it's Reshma. Thanks so much for joining me and welcome to Brave Not Perfect, where we talk with changemakers all over the world who have one thing in common, even if they don't know it. At some point in their journey, all my guests decided that it was better to just jump in and try to make things better now, instead of waiting until they had all the skills and knowledge. They decided that it was better to be brave, not perfect. Today, I'm talking with Rayouf Alhumedi, a young Muslim woman living in Austria who wanted an emoji that looked like her, and she decided to do something about it. Here's how it all started. I think it was a lot of micro interactions that prompted me to submit the emoji. But the main one that I can fully remember is the conversation I had with my friends during summer, where we basically decided to use emojis to represent ourselves on our group chat. And I, knowing that there was no hijab emoji, I humorously put the turban, guy emoji, and a regular girl emoji in an arrow. So to find a way to meander through that um, obstacle, and I used that. So my friends were laughing about it for a little bit, and we kind of prompted a conversation within our group as to uh, why isn't there an emoji? There's so many Muslim women using technology. And from there, I... Honestly, I do believe it's it's fate because I found a, a mashable Snapchat story, I think the day after, like detailing how to submit an emoji. And basically, that's how it started. I followed through and submitted the proposal. So was that like random that you found that story? Or did you start digging and saying, okay, wait, if I wanted to get, if I wanted to create an emoji, how would I do that? Honestly, it w- I had the idea in mind. I was like, okay, I was going to propose it, but it was kind of something that was on the back of my mind, you know? I wanted to do it, no doubt, but... You know, it wasn't something I thought of um, explicitly, but then I saw this story and I definitely thought it was fate. It was stuff aligning for allowing me to do this. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm not going to disregard this or dismiss it again. And I started working on it and did not stop working on it for like two days, I think, two days straight. I wrote because it was during summer. I had all the time in the world. (laughs) And yeah, it was a lengthy proposal, but definitely worth it. So you read the story, it tells you that you could submit a proposal to get an emoji, you work on it, and then you press send. Were you scared when you sent it? Or were you like, ah, were you expecting a response? Like, how did you feel? I think oblivious, ambiguous, um, confused. I just so many emotions put together because, uh, you know, emoji proposing, uh, sending out emoji proposals and submitting emoji proposals and the whole world of emojis, especially like it's being a character on our keyboards is completely um, overlooked. No one really knows about it. They know it exists. No one has an idea. And it was the same for me. Um, so I don't know what to expect, obviously, but I sent it off. And in on the website, it said expect a response between 15 to 30 days or something like that. And I received a response two days later. So that was definitely a good sign that I'm on to something here. And so what did the response say? The response was from Jennifer Lee, who is a member of the Unicode Technical Committee, which is a committee under the Unicode Consortium, which is the organization that deals with all the technicalities of our keyboard. And Jennifer Lee uh, responded with much enthusiasm, saying that uh, this is great. It's also been on her mind submitting such an emoji, a hijab emoji. And it's perfect that, um, you know, I came in and I actually submitted one because she wanted one as well. And um, basically, she helped me make the proposal as robust as possible and push it through the committee meetings to make it 
um, a successful proposal. So how did you think about the proposed designs? Um, the proposed designs were designed by Afi Masser, a wonderful uh, lady, and I had so much fun, you know, getting to work with her. Uh, so I, we designed the proposed designs as glyphs for the vendors within uh, the Unicode Technical Committee, which included Apple engineers, um, a Facebook, Twitter, everything you can think of. So it was just a glyph for them to get an idea of what it should look like. And we decided on very neutral colors. If you, if you'll find the proposal online, neutral colors, because then it allows the vendors to come up with their own colors to put on the hijab emoji. Mm -hmm. And we thought it was suitable because it was, it wasn't too much, you know, and it focused yeah. on the hijab itself. What was it like when you found out that your emoji was selected? How did you feel? Elated, of course, no doubt. I got the message from Jennifer Lee a week after I flew to San Francisco to talk to the Unicode Technical Committee and basically put a face to the proposal. And I was over the moon, but I was even more over the moon after it was actually released, which was in November of 2017. And there was this camera crew actually recording my reaction. So that was completely fine because it was truly genuine. Once the film comes out or whatever, um, you'll just really see how excited I was. And I was, um, was so happy because I saw, because it was always been an idea. Now it was something tangible and just more face-to-face uh, -face with it. So that was definitely great. Awesome. So what'd your parents think? I met your dad. He's wonderful. Was he like, what are you doing? Or he's like, why are you doing there? Is it, or was he excited? Like, how did he feel? I did not tell any of my parents any of this. So they just saw <laughs> me locking myself in the room for two days was me watching another season of House of Cards. So nothing out of the ordinary. <laughs> but really, it was me writing a proposal. So they didn't know anything about it. And I didn't inform them about it. Because I didn't know how big it would be or what kind of response it would garner until I received an email from Jennifer Lee inviting me to attend EmojiCon, actually. So she's the creator of EmojiCon and the founder of it. And it was in San Francisco. And that obviously, if I were to go, I had to tell my parents. So I told them <laughs> about it. And my dad's first response was like, what? Since when did you do any of this? Why are you invited? You're 15 years old. Why does anybody want? You know, was, he was confused in the beginning. And he thought it was a scam because he was just incomplete. Yeah. Oh, he's like, what? And I told him all about it. And after that, they were so um, on board and completely supportive. My mom, especially, she's just like, Rehub, I'm so proud of you. And yeah, I, they were definitely proud of me. And I'm honestly so happy that I can make them proud. So you live in Vienna. And, you know, we know that there's been a, such a conversation about hijabs and, you know, cr uh, unjust, unfair criticism, critique. What has it been like for you being 15 and wearing a hijab? I think to anyone wearing the hijab, they can completely, I think, agree with me with this, that it is a part of identity right away. Wearing it would signify, oh, I'm a Muslim. Here I am. So it is a part of my identity because right away people know I'm Muslim. And with that, with that title, with that label, comes a lot of assumptions from people, preconceived notions that basically bottle up all the 550 million women into one word, oppressed or whatever word they choose. Mm. So it's all of those assumptions and these preconceived notions for so many women. And I, I expected that. I honestly did when I started wearing the headscarf. I was like, I was aware of the response and the backlash that I might face. And I think living in Austria, it's generally an open country. The maximum I, I had faced was, you know, stares here and there, kind of death stares, but nothing more than that. 
But actually, funny enough, during my the hijab emoji journey, it garnered some Austrian media attention. A very right-wing politician responded to it and put it on his Facebook saying something like, Muslims are taking over Austria, even with emojis, or something <laughs> crazy like that. So, I mean, it's mixed response within Austria itself, but generally I haven't, I think it's positive. Like my the local community, my school, has it's overwhelmingly positive and I'm so happy for it to be that way. I'm sure you're such a role model for young girls, young Muslim girls. Any any responses that you've gotten from girls across the world that really stuck out for you? Oh my goodness, where do I begin? I think their response alone is enough to make me smile for the, like the next five years, honestly. Um, I got so many DMs and messages from young Muslim girls thanking me for this emoji. And on, like on Twitter, just search hijab emoji, you'll find tweets saying, ah, we finally have a hijab emoji that looks like us or something like that. So it's definitely a, a very positive response, which is basically the response that I really wanted to prompt because I want to increase representation for Muslim women because honestly, we exist we occupy a space in this world but nothing there's nothing really to acknowledge us for it so even if it's a small thing like an emoji I thought it was a way for me to increase representation so I thought I have the power to do something I'm going to do it and the response that I received from the Muslim girls proves just that that representation is extremely critical even if it might seem it's in the smallest way possible it's so true I am my name is Reshma, and for so long when I was growing up, nobody could pronounce it. And I was so mad at my parents. So I was like, why didn't you just name me a more American name? And I hated my name for so long. And a lot of other people, you know, a lot of other South Asians, Indians actually changed their name so they could, quote, fit in more. And I've been so proud that I never did that. And I th- I've also gotten so many notes from girls, you know, thanking me, right? Because I think it's like you, it's, you know, you have to be, you have an opportunity and you had an opportunity here to be a role model and to set an example for other girls who are also like looking at their keyboard and wishing that they were represented. Um, and you did that for them. And that's really, really powerful. You know, you said to me at, uh, when we met at MIT Solve, you had a little bit of imposter syndrome. And you said, you know, I don't feel like I've done enough to deserve this kind of acclaim. I mean, it's just an emoji. Mm. Um, Tell me about that. So, I mean, I I think no doubt anyone in my position at speaking at MIT with such big names, including yours, will feel overwhelmed and begin to question what they've done, which is honestly terrible because whatever you do, this is something I need to reiterate to myself because clearly the conversation we had doesn't... Uh, show that. But um, I think the achievements and the representation I've been able to bring about for Muslim women, I minimize it or I discredit my work because it's small, which is obviously not good in any way, um, because it has, it saw an impact, it saw a response, a positive response at that too. And um, the imposter syndrome also came from the fact that I kind of have this fear of reaching a growth plateau. So I kind of fear like, I'm not going to grow in in curiosity or a drive to learn more. So I kind of had this um, under underlying fear that, oh my God, does that mean I peaked? Does this, me attending MIT, which is a huge um, MIT solve and a huge initiative and event, means this is it for me? Like I can't reach further, which is also goes back to the conversation of, you know, the sky isn't the limit. 
But yeah, I did have imposter syndrome, but it's something right now after our conversation we had after that. I was like, are you, you're invited for a reason. They didn't invite you for for nothing you're there for a reason you did something and you need to you need to come to terms with that that your work actually brought about a positive response and Mm -hmm. it's time you realize that or recognize that at least (laughs) we all do that to ourselves I mean I do that to myself too you know we all suffer from feeling like do we really belong here and we look around and we see other people and yes you really belong there I mean and I also think right this is just the beginning for you beginning of an, an incredible, incredible journey. But you're, you're still 17. And so you're like, in some ways, like a feminist leading a movement, but you're young. You still, how do you still have fun? Oh, I have a lot of fun, honestly. People, even my friends ask me, like, because I'm kind of really involved in school. So they're like, Wait, when do you actually get to breathe? But honestly, my involvement in school, I love. Uh, so I'm the treasurer and I'm like a part of some organizations in school and outside of school. And that's fun for me, honestly, because that way I could honestly know what my potential is. Because if I'm not engaging myself in any of these activities outside of school or even with my family, you know, just reading books with my sister, teaching her, tutoring her, then I don't know my untapped potential, which is why I like to participate in these activities. And more like low key is obviously I love, love reading. I have a book dedicated to each time of the day, which is kind of crazy. So like in the morning, <laughs> on my way to school, on my way back to school. So I'm reading Orientalism by Edward Said right now. It's a very hefty book. And I have to consult my dad, like, I think every few pages, like, what does this mean? What is he implying? But yeah, reading and also podcast listening. I have podcast listening sessions with my friends and I kind of force them to follow my podcast so I can have somebody to have a conversation with. But yeah, these are my ways of having fun. That's good. Good. I I love to read too. And I'm going to definitely check out that book. So what's next? What what are you trying to disrupt now? What are you trying to change now? That's a big question. Um, right now, I, I honestly don't know where what the future holds, but I definitely know that I want to continue in this path of, which is similar to, similar to the conversation we had at MIT, where um, we bridge the gap between technology and social good. So I'd like to double major in computer science and economics. So Yay! I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like even with girls who code, just because technology is an ever-growing market and it's not just something commercial and... Uh, something to financially capitalize off. It's a it's an amazing resource to bring social good around the world, and that's something I want to explore in the future. Oh, and also education in Saudi Arabia. I'm, it's mm. extremely frustrating unless you're in a private school in Saudi Arabia. The the chances of you getting a really uh, or even a normal education, not an amazing education, are very low, which is so disheartening because financial um, circumstances should never be a reason to not accessing education, which is something I also want to look into in the future. That's great. Where do you want to go to college? I don't know. Uh, my mom obviously wants to stay nearby in Vienna. But, <laughs> and honestly, I don't mind. I actually want my family to be with me. So I told my dad, retire after two years, move with me to whatever, whichever university I'm going to so we can still be together. But I think America and maybe California, actually. 
Well, we would love to have you. Oh, that's it's so exciting. <laughs> We'd love to have you. So tell me, you know, I always ask everybody, what's your brave, not perfect moment? You know, I think so for so many of us, right, we do everything right. And then something happens and we just have a moment where we do something incredibly courageous. What was that moment for you? I think it was this one time in, I think when I was in eighth grade, it's a small thing, but I, I'll always remember it. So basically we were having, it was history class and we were having a discussion. I don't even remember what, but I think it was discussion about um, aboriginals in Australia. And my teacher said, and this teacher is known for being super strict. And my teacher said something that I really did not think was right, bordering racist and just completely wrong. And it was just a known fact around the school. If you were to speak up against the teacher, you would get ready for some shouting. It was, she was, I don't know what to describe it, but I stood up and I said, miss, what you said was completely wrong. And I just completely find it ludicrous that you'd even make a claim like that. And I just went on and on and kind of on a rant. And to tell you, I was nervous would not even be the half of it. I was so nervous. But that moment I realized how important your voice is and the capacity hold in changing things because after that the teacher apologized to the entire class and recognized what she said was wrong so um that was my brave not perfect moment I risked you know being shouted at and even maybe contacting my parents which is something to be considered small in the long run of life but yeah that was my brave not perfect moment (laughs) I love that. No, because I I do think that bravery begins with not feeling silenced. When you feel like something is wrong or you want to speak up, having the voice to be able to do that, uh, even if you know that there's consequences. Uh, So good. That's a great example. Well, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. You are such a role model for so many young girls and for me. Oh, my gosh. I feel like far too often we talk ourselves out of ideas and you did it. And so thank you for that. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It means so much coming from you. What an incredible kid. Again, I think it's such a powerful example for all of us, whatever age you are, that like when you have an idea, just pursue it because you never know what could happen. And this 17-year-old girl, you know, got an emoji on a keyboard and now millions of young Muslim girls across the country and the world feel like they can relate. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Got a question for me? Send us a note at bravenotperfectpodcast at gmail.com or call in directly via the Anchor app on your phone. Until next time, this has been an episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani.